0: I'm Dave Breckenridge, and you're listening to 10-3. The price gap on Alberta oil has hit a crisis point. Business leaders, politicians, and everyday Albertans are demanding action to fix a divide that's costing the Alberta Treasury and Canadian economy billions. We look at what's being done to mitigate the damage, what help Alberta is asking for from the Feds, and what the Prime Minister has to say. It's Friday, November 23rd. Before we talk about the fallout from oil prices, I just want to say I hope you've been enjoying this podcast and that you've made sure to subscribe. If you haven't yet, just take a second and click that button. We're on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio.
1: As a country, we're still fighting a decade-long struggle to build pipelines to non-U.S. markets. The price differential on Alberta oil is a real problem. Because we're forced to sell our oil at a discount, Canada's economy is losing an estimated $80 million a day. That's unacceptable. Of course, it doesn't help that we're witnessing an increase in nationalism and protectionism in trade policy.
0: Claire Clancy covers provincial politics for the Edmonton Journal. So Claire, help Canadians understand here, what does the price
2: differential for Alberta oil actually mean? In its simplest form, what it means is there's a price discount on Alberta oil. So the Western Canada Select uh, heavy crude has been trading at about, you know, $35 a barrel compared to Western Texas Intermediate, which is sitting at about $75 a barrel. And so what that means is that Alberta is selling its oil for, you know, a $40 discount. Um, on Thursday, Western Canada Select actually hit a record low, costing less than $14 US dollars a day a barrel and that was shocking to everybody uh, because some people noted that it cost less than a bottle of water. Basically what this means is that Alberta is trading its oil at a very, very low price and it's costing billions and billions of dollars to to the Canadian economy. Estimates really vary on what that means, but Alberta has been saying that it costs $80 million a day.
1: We will lose that $80 million tomorrow and the day after and the day after, as long as this price differential remains in place.
2: Um, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers pegged that at about $50 million in October per day and $13 billion in the first 10 months of 2018.
0: So who's losing out on this money? You know, the premier talked about an $80 million a day loss, Is it the province losing out on the money, the economy, oil companies? Who's getting hit by this?
2: Well, really, you know, producers. So you have Synovus Energy, Canadian Natural Resources Limited, Suncor Energy, Husky Energy. And what's really interesting here is that producers actually don't have a consensus about what to do in this situation. So there have been calls for mandatory production cuts because the problem is is that there's an oversupply of oil right now in Alberta, and that's why it's trading at such a low price. But producers can't decide whether or not they actually should institute mandatory production cuts and so right now it's at a standstill. The market has kind of dictated that we don't have
0: pipeline access, we can't get our oil to market, but producers are still producing and so we're hit with this big excess of oil, right?
2: yeah and I think one of the main questions that has been asked of the Alberta government over the last several weeks is you know will the province institute mandatory production cuts and it's a very complicated question because through legislation there's some argument over whether or not that would be an easy process. It's that the government is saying that no, it's very difficult to intervene in in the oil and gas market for a reason. So really, we're in a situation where producers, we have producers like Synovus and Canadian Natural Resources saying, let's do production cuts. And then you have Husky and Suncor that aren't on board with that. So without consensus, it's it's definitely hard to move forward with that solution. Um, I'll point out there are some other things that have been asked for. So the Alberta government has asked for more locomotives from Ottawa. They want federal funding so that we can have more crude by rail. It would mean that we could ship more oil out of the province faster and get rid of that oversupply. But Alberta hasn't heard back from Ottawa on that. And um, other you know, other potential solutions include um, looking at efficiencies within the pipeline traffic system. That's also a complicated question because there's disagreement over whether or not pipelines are currently carrying the full supply of oil that they can. So really there are a lot of solutions, but no good ones right now.
0: There's no consensus. And even within some of the solutions, there's uh, challenges because you're dealing with competing oil companies who all have individual stakes in the market and you even have some oil companies, if I'm understanding correctly, that have barrels of oil sitting uh, that they can move at old prices because they have locked in contracts and so they're not being hit by this price differential where some of their competitors may be. So there may not be an incentive for them to want to have have the government rule on market control.
2: Right. and There's even an argument over how much that's actually impacting the market because really it's just it's it's a complex problem with so many moving pieces, and it's very difficult to know exactly what would make a difference. So, for example, five uh, percent mandatory cuts across oil producers, you know, potentially would would solve the issue. But some people are saying, some analysts are saying that if nothing is done, the, the market will correct itself within the next three months just by voluntary output cuts that have already been made.
0: And why are why are companies looking to the government to set uh, mandatory production cuts when they are the ones in charge of their own production. Couldn't they just cut their own production?
2: I, they can, definitely. But I think the issue is, is that it's an industry-wide problem and there needs to be some kind of consensus building among producers. So when not everybody's doing it, obviously co- producers don't want to lose out because they're the ones taking the hit. We have you know, Premier Rachel Notley this week, though, appointed three special envoys.
1: Their task is to work with the energy industry and CEOs to develop short and medium term solutions to close the oil price differential as much as is possible with the tools that we have available.
2: And I think the goal there is that it will hopefully create some kind of consensus on short term solutions. Uh, we don't really have any news yet on what the envoys are doing, but she did name them. Um, it's Deputy Energy Minister Colleen Voke, former Chief of Staff Brian Topp, and U UFC C. Uh, executive fellow, um, Robert Skinner.
0: Now, are these people, you mentioned the, the deputy energy minister, uh, someone from the U of C, does he have industry background or are these people with uh, credentials who, uh, who may be able to speak to oil and gas executives and, and build some consensus?
2: Yeah, and they all have different backgrounds, but what's I guess what's kind of interesting is that so Brian Topp, for example, former chief of staff, the he was a controversial appointment and the NDP kind of said, well, he's a good negotiator, and so that's why he was brought to the table. Um so really they all have different backgrounds, but yeah, they they definitely have some expertise in this in this sector. We'll be right back.
0: The National Post launched 20 years ago to be a distinctive and surprising voice in the media landscape. Though much has changed over the past two decades, what hasn't is the core appeal of a paper dedicated to conservative values, interesting voices, unique perspectives, and a sense of fun. Check out what you've been missing. Get 20% off a one-year subscription to The National Post with promo code HAPPY20. That's HAPPY20. Now, you mentioned earlier that the uh, Alberta's premier, Rachel Notley, was looking to the feds for more rail cars to get more oil shipped by rail. Is there capacity in the rail system for more cars out there? I understand that right now that it feels like rail is at capacity so much that you have grain shipments that are already delayed. Where's the capacity in the rail system for more oil cars?
2: And I think that's the big question is I don't really know the answer to that. I think the fact is we've had grain backlogs where there just isn't enough capacity at all to ship grain across the province and can we do it with uh, with oil yeah it would it mean another industry taking a hit i don't know and i think that's why we have to wait and see what ottawa says and and what they're willing to kind of invest in this issue the main thing to consider here though is that one thing that everyone can agree on is that alberta needs market access for its oil and so Really, all of these things that we're talking about are short-term solutions. And the only long-term solution to fix this problem is building a pipeline to Tidewater.
1: Now, of course, it didn't have to be this way. If Canada acted like the country that we are, we would be shipping our oil by pipeline to new markets Mm -hmm. around the world. We would also have enough pipeline within which to ship it.
2: Alberta's best options right now are Enbridge Line 3, Keystone XL, which has been stalled by a U.S. court, and Trans Mountain, which also was stalled by a Canadian federal court decision. So things are not looking great in terms of getting a pipeline built in the near future.
0: Yeah, Enbridge Line 3 is the closest to completion. It's under construction right now, that's right?
2: Yeah, it's under construction, and what it, what it basically what it is is it's a Restoration of of a pipeline um, that would bring Alberta oil to uh, through U.S. states to Wisconsin.
0: So, where are things at with Keystone XL or Trans Mountain in terms of their court battles and the proximity that they we may be to construction?
2: What was interesting this week was that Premier Rachel Notley said Trans Mountain pipeline she believes will start construction by this time next year, which depending on who you are, might sound a little bit overly optimistic. Mm-hmm. What we know about Trans Mountain is that the National Energy Board has until February to redo its environmental review. That has been a, an issue for the federal court and was it was outlined in that ruling in August. The second part of that, though, is redoing portions of the indigenous consultation. And no one has a firm timeline for that. So the federal government hasn't outlined a firm timeline li- for that either. So really, Trans Mountain, we don't know when it will be built because we know that this energy review will be done by February, and the consultations are a second piece. Keystone XL took a hit very recently because a US court blocked the construction permit, saying they had to redo a portion of that environmental review as well. And that pipeline would bring Alberta oil through the US to the Gulf Coast. So that one is stalled indefinitely as well. And when you
0: look at the landscape in Canada, you had the Northern Gateway pipeline that was struck down. You had the Energy East pipeline that the process for that was basically shut down and new parameters were set up. And and that doesn't seem very likely to happen right now. So Alberta is forced to hinge its hopes on new rail cars to expand oil by rail or on three pipelines in various stages of construction. So how dire is it politically speaking for Alberta Premier Rachel Notley?
2: I think the NDP acknowledged that this is probably the most urgent issue that they have on their agenda right now. They need a pipeline. That has been clear for, you know, the last two years. In terms of what this will mean for the election, I'm not going to speculate. But I think most people can probably guess what it would mean if there's no movement on a pipeline under Premier Rachel Notley.
0: Now, this issue is seemingly of of tantamount importance to uh, the premier of Alberta, the government of Alberta, the people of Alberta. Does Rachel Notley have allies in this fight federally or even among her rivals provincially in trying to move this issue forward?
2: Yeah, and I think that's an interesting question. I think the premier has been careful to look as though she's a bridge builder with Ottawa on this, though it sounds like they have not been getting the responses necessarily in the urgency that they require them. In terms of opposition allies, UCP leader Jason Kenney has said that this isn't a partisan issue. He says he wants to work with the NDP, but there's, there's a lot of friction between them. So it kind of remains to be seen whether or not they'll work together on this. He did call for the producers to sit down and make production cuts themselves, mm-hmm. though he stopped short of saying the government should intervene on that.
0: Okay. And where is he at with the call for more oil by, by
2: rail? Is he seeing eye to eye with the premier on that? I think it's not an issue that he's hammered home because, because Jason Kenney consistently has said, you know, Trudeau is not a friend. Ottawa is not giving the solutions that Alberta needs. So really asking Ottawa for the crude by rail is, in his mind, I think, secondary to the UCP doubling down on this issue of we need a pipeline and potentially producers making production cuts is the best solution.
0: Now, what does this huge differential in price between Western Canada Select and West Texas Intermediate mean for the provincial treasury uh, in terms of hard dollars?
2: Very, very good question. And we are set to have a fiscal update shortly. The Alberta government used oil prices in their budgetary predictions that really are a lot higher than what we're seeing right now.
1: The province led the country in economic growth in 2017 and we're expecting to be near the top again in 2018 with strong growth of 2.7%.
2: It will be interesting to see in that next fiscal update what adjustments have been made, if any. In the last quarterly update, though, it was still quite a rosy picture. Finance Minister Joe CC predicted that there had been a $1 billion cut to the deficit. I think it's unlikely that that will be the case in the next um, in the next round.
0: Are there any made-in-Alberta or made-in-Canada solutions for any of this issue? Could we see more upgrading done in Alberta, more refining
2: done in Canada? Is there any uh, plans in that regard? I think that's such a great question because that does seem to be, you know, why don't we just refine our own oil? That way this wouldn't be an issue. But realistically, those projects are decades long in the making and it's, there's nothing on the horizon that would solve this problem immediately. Now, what does this kind of economic climate created by this
0: price differential mean for investment in Canada and Alberta?
2: Well, I think what's problematic here is that investors are looking at Canada and seeing that projects aren't being built that were approved years ago. And that's a message that the Alberta Premier has said multiple times. You know, we need to make sure we have investor confidence in projects that are already on the books. This differential obviously is not helping that.
0: So overall, what can we expect to see over the next few weeks? Uh, more pressure from the Alberta government on the Feds, uh, a gloomy update from Alberta Finance Minister Joe Sisi. What can we see as, as 2018 comes to a close?
2: I think it'll be a really interesting few weeks. We'll see a fiscal update, I think. And as you said, gloomy might be a good word for it, but uh, I won't I won't assume anything. And we're going to hopefully hear back from Ottawa about that ask from Premier Rachel Notley. She said she's hoping to get an answer on that within weeks, not months, but we'll have to see. And, and I think in terms of other solutions, we'll probably see the Premier talking about what this kind of task force is aiming to do in order to try and make some kind of short-term solutions for this issue. But I do feel as though, as though there is no good solution to this problem.
0: No, I guess there's, there's lots to watch for, and uh, a lot of hope in Alberta that things start to turn around. Claire, thanks very much for your time. Thank you so much. On Thursday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau spoke in Calgary as more than 1,000 protesters rallied outside.
2: Well, today we're here because our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is here, and as, uh, as taxpayers,
0: we are owners of the TMX pipeline that our government has sought to pay uh, $4.5 billion on, and we want to know what he's going to do with that. Trudeau said the price gap for Alberta oil is a crisis and the feds are doing what they can to help the province through a tough time.
1: For a resource-reliant, export-reliant economy like Alberta, global instability has had even more of an impact than in other parts of the country. When the path forward isn't certain and when the entire world is rethinking the way we do business, people here feel it more than most.
0: Alberta opposition leader Jason Kenney responded to the Prime Minister's speech suggesting Trudeau's concern for Alberta is hollow and said the Feds need to take more concrete action to help like it would the auto sector. Meanwhile, Alberta Premier Rachel Notley speaking at an earlier event in Calgary blasted the Fed's most recent budget update for failing to acknowledge Alberta's pain. 10-3 is produced by Carson Drama, Audio from the Calgary Herald and Sean Butts. Thanks to my guest, Claire Clancy. I'm Dave Brekenridge. Thanks for listening.